Knowledge is the fuel that powers intelligent buying and selling. So get a quick recharge with me, Ron Edwards, Master Sommelier and Director of Wine Education for Winebow, Fine Wine, and Spirits. Welcome back to WineSmart. This is a special episode, actually four parts, of an interview conducted with Jacopo Poli of the Poli Distillery in Veneto, where he tells us all about grappa, how it's made, why we should love it. The Poli family has been in Veneto since 1400. Jacopo Poli is a master of distillation and sensory analysis of distillates. Together with sister Barbara and brother Andrea, he carries on a tradition and an objective to make people understand and appreciate the hard work, tenacity, but above all the love that is required to create a great distillate, a total love for one's own craft, one's own world, a love without which greatness cannot be achieved. This is episode two. Welcome back to episode two with Jacopo Poli. We're talking all about grappa. It's really great conversation. We're glad you joined us. Jacopo, why don't we start now with, I hear there's a legend about the story of grappa. Yeah, it's an, an old uh, tradition. You know, we are located in Veneto. Veneto is in the northeastern part of Italy, nearby Bassano del Grappa, very close to Venice. And Bassano del Grappa is the city where I was born and raised. There is a very enchanting town. The name of Bassano del Grappa is very unique. It's the only place in the world that carries the name Grappa in the name of the city. And the, the name of the city comes from a very special uh, mountain, the Mount Grappa. As a matter of fact, Bassano del Grappa somehow means uh, at the base of Mount Grappa. So believe me or not, there is a Mount Grappa in, uh, in, uh, in Italy, and that is where, according to the legend, Grappa was born. There were some farmers distilling uh, illegally there, hidden in the forest, and that's where, according to the tradition, Grappa found its uh, origins. It, it is just a legend, but we like it. For sure, we can say that uh, Veneto is uh, the cradle of Grappa, and uh, Bassano de Grappa is considered the, the capital of this uh, spirit. Yeah, and, and in the last episode, so if you're joining us now in episode two, go back and listen to episode one, because in episode one, we talk about the peasant origins of Grappa, which is a super charming story and, and how it's an upcycled product and all of that. Well worth your time. But for now, okay, we know Grappa is distilled from grape pomace, Mark. So are there cousins of Grappa from other countries that don't have the right to the name of Grappa? Yeah, uh, even if uh, a distillate of a non-Italian mark cannot be called grappa, there are some other cousins from other countries, uh, for example, Tsipuro in Greece or Tresterbrand in Germany or Orujo in Spain or Marc in France, Agardiente, for instance, in Chile. Or uh, let's see if I can pronounce it well, Torcoli Palinka is an, in Hungary is also distillate made from the grape mark. So each of them has its own identity. In fact, they share the same kind of raw material, which is the grape mark. But we are talking about different distillates that are produced with different methods. So grappa is some cousin, but it's a, a, a unique spirit on its own. And we're going to keep exploring its uniqueness. So let's start with quality. 
where was there an original quality focus or did it emerge over time? Ooh, good question. Uh, in my opinion, Grappa is uh, the protagonist of the most significant evolution in the world of spirits over the last uh, 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, I mean, if you would taste uh, a cognac made uh, 50 years ago, or a whiskey or a rum made 50, 60, 70 years ago, and a cognac or a whiskey or a rum made today, they would be pretty much the same. Not that mm -hmm. different. But if you would taste and compare a grappa made 50 years ago or 60, 70 years ago and a grappa made today, you would notice how grappa today is completely different. In the past, grappa was considered a very simple product, a simple and rough product for simple and rough people. So grappa was very often dry, sometimes pungent, uh, sometime unpleasant, it was meant to be drunk in wintertime. So it was kind of a, a robust spirit for robust stomachs. But uh, these days are gone. Um, the society has changed. The, the, the social taste is different. Uh, um, in the old days, grappa was made uh, distilling any kind of grape variety together. So there was not the concept of distilling single grape varieties. And the way of uh, uh, treating and uh, managing the grape mark uh, that is a very delicate raw material was totally different today compared to today. So the modern grappa, the way we are distilling today is, uh, is different because what we want to obtain is a grappa that gives pleasure that gives a nice, pleasant sensation. So we pay a lot of attention in the selection of the raw material from the wineries we, we work with, and we immediately distill the mark. That is the key factor in order to obtain a quality grappa. So uh, grappa nowadays uh, is no more pungent, is no more aggressive, but on the contrary is very round, soft, elegant, smooth in the mouth and gives you the nice sensation of having a, a, the quintessence of grape into your mouth. So we've, we've made a journey from a utilitarian necessity of life for a, a group of people to an art form to expand the audience, essentially. And I think this is important for people listening because they may not have tried grappa since the last time they had one of the utilitarian rough-hewn versions, and it is a very different world now. I mean, even just sitting here looking at the bottles that we're going to taste later, there's an immediate impression of this is not a utilitarian beverage. These are beautiful bottles. They have a lot of detail in the label, and there's, there's definitely an impression here that this is a fine spirit. Um, so that, that was expected perhaps from my perspective as a, as a journey, because I think all spirits have made that journey, right? The things you mentioned earlier, cognac, rum, whiskey, et cetera, they've all had a journey to get where they are too. They just had, um, perhaps an older journey than grappa to get to the art form. So who is Poli? Oh, this is a nice question. Uh, I will try to answer briefly. Uh, to begin with, we can say that Poli is a distillery, is an artisan distillery. But above all, it's a big family that includes 
not only the relatives, my brothers, my sister, my mother, but also the people that work with us and that we call our heroes because they have passionately contributed and still contribute to our history. So Poly is a distillery, but it's also a place where it's nice to live and work. That sounds good. I like it. And I would say, if I can add, uh, for more than one century, my family as uh, the Poly family have been working with a very clear goal to let people understand and appreciate the hard work, the constancy, but above all, the, that kind of love that goes into a bottle of grappa, a total, a total love for our art, for our world, a love without which uh, no result uh, would uh, ever be achieved. Um, we can say that the first poly on these, uh, of this love story is my great-grandfather, Giobatta, who founded the distillery in 1898. So we've been making grappa for more than 120 years. And since then, each generation has made its contribution, keeping the same passion and the same, and the same spirit. Yeah, I think it's one of the things I loved when I started researching to interview you and have this conversation was I wandered through the family tree on the website. And um, so we'll put a link in the show notes to the Poli website where that family tree is because it's super impressive, especially when we talk about a North American society that it doesn't have the history that the Italian peninsula has for um for generations of families in one place, we don't go back as far. And so to look at that family tree, I don't remember exactly what year it went back to, but it was a long time ago. Can you remind me uh, where that tree started? What century? Yeah, the um, the first ancestor we, we located uh, was born in 1390, so 600 years ago. Yeah. Right. When our native population was here in North America, but Europeans were not. So <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> awesome family tree. And we've been living always in the same place. That that was made that made possible to track back the origin of this family because we uh, were lucky enough to find the documents in the archives. And these archives are still in good conditions. So we were able to reconstruct the whole family tree uh, with a lot, lot of patience, but we made it uh, up to the first person that gave the name to the family. Wow, that's amazing. And that actually brings us perfectly. What a great segue you offered me there. That's awesome. You've done this before, I think. To where is the distillery and how is your family history tied to it? So now expand on that. So you've been there all these centuries. Yeah. Let's say that the Poly Distillery is located in Schiavon. Schiavon is a very little village in the countryside. There are only 1,000 inhabitants. There is only one road. 500 people are living on the right side and 500 people are living on the left side. <laughs> is there a contest between the right and left side or a, or a rivalry? No, we're on the right. You're on the left. 
<laughs> and then it depends on the way you're coming. So it's always a little bit confusing. But anyway, and we are very close to Bassano del Grappa. So we are in the heart of Veneto. That is the most renowned region for the production of grappa in Italy. And it's a place uh, rich of charm, culture, and memories, I would say. The distillery is a... Uh, is, uh, um, Escrigno. How do you say Escrigno? Uh, Escrigno is a place where you can hold a nice memory. Veneto is a, is truly a, the cradle of this distillate. And it is not by chance that uh, in the heart of Veneto, not far from Venice, uh, as I was saying before, there is this very special mountain, the Mount Grappa. Now, the Mount Grappa, you have to consider that it, is, it plays a very important role for many reasons. For two, I would say, at least for two main reasons. First of all, during the First World War, the Mount Grappa was a theater of a heroic battle. And during these battles, the soldiers were given uh, some grappa as a kind of uh, comfort. Uh, after the war, the grappa became the, became the the national spirit because many soldiers were coming from other regions of Italy, from the central and the southern part of Italy, and they got to know grappa during the war. And when the war was over, many uh, soldiers or the families of uh, soldiers that fought in the in uh, in that area went back to honor uh, these people, and Grappa became part of the ritual, I would say. So that's when Grappa finally became the, the spirit of the nation, I would say. And then the second reason why the Mount Grappa is so important is that uh, um, the Mount Grappa is a kind of a huge natural sponge where the water doesn't stay on the surface of the mountain, but goes through, a, is a Karsik uh, mountain. I don't know if it makes sense, the word Karsik. This means mm -hmm. that the, the water goes through the mountain, is somehow filtered, and uh, it goes into a, a, an aquifer that passes underneath the distillery. And we pump this water and we use it uh, is 70 meters uh, below our distillery and we use it for distilling and for diluting the grappa that is obtained at 80 percent of alcohol and, they, and, and then it has to be reduced to 40 percent so you you brought up the distilleries in a village of 500 pe a thousand people Yes, 1,000 people. Yeah, 1,000 yeah, people. 500 yeah. on the left, 500 on the right. So a distillery with your reach and um, world renown must have a significant impact on the culture, the business, the, the job scene. And what's your impact on the community? Uh, we are very, very strongly connected to the to this community. We have been living in the same territory for over... 600 years. So my family is deeply rooted in this area. 
let me tell you that everything began in a very small village. The name of this village is Gomarolo, even smaller than Schiavone. So there are in Gomarolo only 100 inhabitants, 50 and 50, let's say. And these little villages up in the mountain on the plateau of Asiago. Asiago is a very nice place. A very nice cheese is made up there. And the name of the cheese is Asiago. And from there, you can see Venice on clear days. Anyway, in 1410, so we are talking about 600, more than 600 years ago, the San Felice convent granted uh, to a poor peasant, Gasparo, a piece of land to be deforested and cultivated. Uh, after him, the grandson of Gasparo, and the name of this guy was Polo, Polo, like Paul, worked hard and put together an important amount of properties. Uh, we are talking about four fields of land, 40 sheep and three cows. Uh, this might me make this might make you smile, but for that era it was huge. And uh, Paul was the guy that gave the name to the family. So Poli simply means uh, in Latin son of Polo. So if we were born in the Scandinavian countries, we would have been Polsen or Polson. But in Latin, it's, you just need to change the last letter in I, which means uh, genitive. Son of. So, Poli simply means son of Polo. And for, for many generations, the Polis worked the, the land until uh, 1818, when Giobatta Poli, one of my ancestors, the grandfather of my great grandfather, opened an osteria and started to sell wine up there in the mountain. Some years later, in 1885, Another Jobatta, the grandson of the first Jobatta, you have to, understood that, to understand that the Jobatta is a very typical name in my family and means John the Baptist. Ah. So the, the second Jobatta moved both family and Osteria to Schiavon, the little village where we are now, in the flatland, because he, he got to know that a new railway was in project. And uh, so he decided to move the Osteria just in front of the train station of this uh, new railway. This new railway played a very important role because um, it allowed to transport not only goods and people, but also gave a boost to the economy. So the travelers used to wait for the train in the Osteria of Giobattapoli, uh, my great-grandfather, the name of the osteria was Al Cappello, which means by the hat, because Giobatta was uh, selling both wine and straw hats. So Giobatta had a very good relations with the wineries in the surrounding region because he was selling wine in his osteria. And that's when he got the idea of buying from the same wineries, not only the, the wine, but also the skin of the grape. So he... Uh, decide to buy a pot steel and uh, a mobile pot steel and that's how he, be he began to produce uh, grappa. So from innkeeper he became a grappa maker. So since, since then the distillery has grown between up and down 
but it also gave, the distillery gave a boost to the local economy. Just think that after the Second World War, the distillery was the only business uh, still uh, uh, in function in this region. Many families came to work here at the distillery. My family um, somehow helped the, the local community to uh, to survive and uh, to to overcome these difficult days. And that is the power of community, and especially when there's a, a significant family community based business. So sounds like a place we want to visit. So how do we visit the Poli Distillery? I, I bet you accept visitors. Yes, of course, it is possible to visit the distillery. And uh, of course, you are cordially invited. Let me tell you that according to Lonely Planet, that is a, a very famous uh, travel guide, uh, the Poli Distillery is one of the 10 distilleries in the world that uh, are worthy to be visited. And the Poly Distillery is the only Italian, the only Italian one. So that's quite a compliment. Yeah. Nice recognition of uh, an intense activity of uh, welcoming visitors that we've done over the last uh, 30 years. And when they come visit you, they, it's not just a distillery they get to see. There's, there's more. Yeah, there is also a museum nearby. So the distillery is considered of historical interest because of its uh, structure, which is typical of the ancient Venetian rural houses. And next to the distillery, it is possible to explore one of the two polygrappa museums. We have two museums about grappa. The one in Schiavon exhibits uh, alembics for the production of grappa, including the rare mobile steel from the mid-19th century that my great-grandfather began to distill with. And also there is uh, the modern section of the Library of the Spirits uh, and also a very nice grappateca, which is a collection of about uh, 2,000 bottles. And uh, it is also possible to see a very interesting archive of ancient commercial documents from hundreds of distilleries, most of which are no longer existing. And then we have the, the other museum that was created in 1983, so 30 years ago, almost in Bassano de Grappa, right in front of the historic wooden bridge that was projected by Andrea Palladio the famous architect in the 15th century. And in, um, in the Grappa Museum in Bassano, you can admire the evolution of the art of distillation in, um, in a small but uh, cozy atmosphere. And uh, the museum in Bassano houses also the historical section of the Library of the Spirit uh, with ancient books about distillation and the most completed collection of Grappa in miniature um, size uh, known in Italy. So the two polygrappa museums represent the result of a long and uh, passionate research. Uh, they were founded by myself and my wife, Christina, as a way to say thank you to a distillate to whom my family has been uh, uh, devoted for, for decades. And you can visit them for free. We have more than 150,000 visitors per year. And in fact, these two museums are most, uh, among the most popular and visited the corporate museum in Italy. 
That's amazing. And I, I love that you brought up Palladio because um, it struck a chord of memory with me that that was the architect that Thomas Jefferson studied when he was trying to decide how architecture goes and what would inspire his home, Monticello. His favorite architect during that study was Palladio. He studied others as after he went to Europe, but up until then, that was that was his study, which is very cool. A neat little tie to us over here. Uh, so knowing all that history, and it would be easy to just sort of keep doing what you used to be doing, but Poli isn't. So you're innovating, creating. What are you doing to stand out and create a future for Grappa today? Good question. Uh, let's say that the future of Grappa for us is uh, linked to important values, such as territory, craft, craftsmanship, and above all, culture. Uh, there is a growing appreciation of Grappa, and this is the result of uh, very important progresses that uh, were made in this sector over the years, uh, and um, and they are the proof of the evolution of Grappa. Grappa is more and more and more the symbol of the Italian after dinner and way of life. And today, one of the biggest challenges for Grappa is to make itself known all over the world, not only as the most renowned Italian distillate with ancient origins, but also as a modern spirit that meets the contemporary taste. And this is one of the reasons that led us to install a new vacuum Ben Marie pot steel, which is the most innovative distillation method in use today in Italy. Uh, and we added it uh, to our ancient uh, flowing steam pot steel that is working nonstop since 1888. So, thanks to this new vacuum Ben Marie pot steel, we have been able to create a new style of grappa with an, anti with an antique soul yet a modern taste. So we are trying, our idea is to create a grappa that uh, hold the tradition, uh, but in the same time is, uh, is modern, contemporary, and uh, reflect the taste of um, each different grape variety. So we try to combine, is, I don't want to say tradition and innovation because it's very banal, but uh, let's say we try to... We try to combine in a one drop of grappa the past and the future. That's a good phrase. I love that. Um, and I'm glad that you brought up the um, vacuum still because the vacuum bamarine, because that is going to be our next episode. We're going to talk about distillation and blending processes next with you. Uh, I want everybody to check the show notes because there's a link there to the distillery and museum guided tour. Should they actually find themselves in on the way to Italy or already there? Uh, they can come by and visit you and visit the museums and experience that charm that you've you've shown us already so far. So look forward to our next episode. And um, until then, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>